Hey guys, Luke here, and you're about to hear my podcast titled Time with God Part 1. This is a message about intimacy with God and connection and about what it looks like when we have intimacy with God and intimacy with other people. So it's focused on not losing our first love. It's focused on being in love with God and loving God, on not forgetting about connection, owning up to good and bad mindsets, and intentionality and sacrifice. So I hope you enjoy this. Thanks. And now will you guys welcome Luke to the stage. He's an awesome message for us. Hey, good morning, everybody. Would you turn your Bibles to Revelation 2? So we're starting this new sermon series, Time with God. Two components to this are time and then the with God part. So the time part really is going to be focused on next week by Sarah. She's going to give us an amazing message. And really that's going to be about building your schedule around God rather than building God into your schedule. So that's going to be awesome. What I'm going to focus on this morning is the with God part or intimacy with God, connection with God. You see, it's possible for us to be in relationship with God, but have little connection with God. There's a difference between just being a Christian, just having a relationship with God, just going to church, and having connection with him. <clears throat> it reminds me of my relationship with Wilson for a certain portion of our friendship Wilson was just up here. Some of you might not know this, but he and I have been best friends since 1999. Yeah, so many years running. And 20 years. Wow, 20 years. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, sorry. So um, we've been friends for 20 years, and uh, there were times in our friendship where we would hang out every single day, every single day, and just do everything together, go everywhere together. Then there was a time right after we graduated from high school when Wilson went off and did missions for three years, and I didn't see him hardly at all for those three years. Now, we still had a relationship when he was gone. And when he would come back into town, we'd see each other, and it'd be like nothing ever changed. But we did not have connection during those three years. I mean, yeah, we'd talk every couple months, maybe every six months, and we'd catch up, but I had no clue what was going on in his day-to-day -day life. I didn't know the challenges that he was up against. I didn't know the emotions, the goals, the insecurities. I, I was not connected with him at that time. And in the same way, in a relationship with God, there can be times where we still have that relationship, but we're not as connected as we want to be. And that is what I want to focus on this morning. Really what I want to focus on is that connection with God. And I want to take a look at a passage where Jesus is talking to a church about this. So let's pray and then we'll dive into it. Holy Spirit, would you come and rest on us right now? Would you open up our hearts to hear from you, to experience you, to be changed by you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So let's read the passage. We're in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5. This is Jesus talking, and he is sending a message to the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city in modern-day Turkey, a church that Paul had planted 30 years prior. So let's read it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. I want to talk about what intimacy with God looks like from this passage. And the first thing I want to share is this. Intimacy looks like not giving up when it's hard. The Ephesian church had not given up. Interesting fact is that when you look at all of the churches that are mentioned in the Bible around the year like 50 and 60 AD, and then you come here to Revelation about the year 90 AD, the church of Ephesus is one of the only ones that is named in this chapter. So the church in Ephesus had endured. They they hadn't given up. And Jesus himself even said that, I've seen your toil, I've seen your perseverance, I've seen that you have stood for the truth. Good job, you have not grown weary, you have persevered. But then, the but, but you've lost your first love. What does that mean? He's just saying, we're not in love anymore. You have done a lot of good things, but we're not in love anymore. But the first thing, as I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, Good job enduring. Intimacy looks like not giving up when it's hard. And then what I was just going into, intimacy looks like continually choosing to love and to be in love. Here's the deal. We can be Christians who have fallen out of love with God. We can be Christians who are serving him, we're showing up to church, we're involved in a group, we read our Bibles, we pray, but we've fallen out of that place of being in love with God. It's possible to love God and love God well without being in love with God. But what I think Jesus is making clear here is that, hey, it's not just about doing things for me. It's about that heart-to-heart connection. It's about being in love with me, about having that, that first love with me. And so Jesus, is, he's challenging the church, get back to that place where you have that first love where we're in love again. Here's what being in love with God is really boiled down. Being in love with God is wanting more of him. Just want to demystify that for a second. Being in love with God is wanting more of God. It's the desire for more of God. I mean, think about the last time that you were in love with a person. Didn't you want more of them? Didn't you want to spend more time with whoever that was? Like, remember the first week of the last time you were in love? It's like, you don't sleep hardly at all. You don't eat. You don't drink anything. You don't do anything but spend time with that person. All you want to do is be around them, right? You want more of their time. 
You also want to know them more. You want to know everything about them. You want to know all of the obscure details that nobody cares about. You want to know them. You want to know them more. Or like, you want more commitment with them. So you realize that you are in love, and then you say, hey, let's be official and let's be exclusive, so there's more commitment there. Then maybe another couple of years go by and you decide that you want to get married, and so you take another step of commitment. Or if you're young adults from this church, about two weeks after you first get official, <laughs> guys down on one knee. <clears throat> but you want more, you want more commitment, you want more of them. And then the contrast, when you realize you're falling out of love with God or you're falling out of love with somebody, then you realize you don't really want more or you might, you're either content with what you have or you might actually want less. Like falling out of love, when you're out of love, you're more focused on what I'm going to do with my time rather than what we're going to do with our time. And you're also, you start viewing commitment as a burden rather than a blessing as you're falling out of love. And you, when you're out of love, the other person is no longer the center of your attention, but they have to compete for your attention. And so this was the state that the church was in. They hadn't given up, they hadn't quit, but they had fallen out of love. And here's the thing. Being in love with God is not a season, but a lifestyle. <clears throat> a lot of people think, well, you have your honeymoon experience with God, and yeah, it's great. You're going to love him. You might cry during the worship songs. But, <clears throat> I mean, let's get to real life. Like, after that phase is done, then it's just serious and not passionate anymore, and it's all downhill on the passion side from there. Great. I'm glad I signed up for this. But... <laughs> It's not a season. Now, there are seasons that it is easier to be in love with God. There are seasons that it is, feels more natural to be on fire in your heart for him. And that's fine. It, but just because it takes more fighting for it in one season than another doesn't mean we should give up on it altogether. Fight for it regardless of whatever season you're in. <clears throat> so what do we do? Well, Jesus, he gives us three things. He gives this church three things. He says, hey, you've lost your first love, but do these three, these three things to step back into that place. He says, remember from where, you're where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. So let's start with this idea of remembering. And this gets into the next intimacy statement. Intimacy looks like not forgetting about connection. It can be so easy to forget about connection. You get distracted, you get busy, stuff comes up. And if we're not intentional to refocus ourselves, we can forget about connection. Another thing, it can be easy to drift in our relationship with God. By drift, I mean, imagine if you take a branch and you put it in a lake, right? And there it is and it's like, one foot away from you. Well, you let six hours go by and now it is 50 yards down the shoreline. You let a week go by and it's all the way on the other side of the lake. Now the branch did not do anything at all to propel itself away from you. It just drifted. And oftentimes in our relationship with God, we can tend to just drift. We don't try to. We're not trying to 
have there be any sense, uh, any less connection, but we can start to drift in our hearts. You know, maybe we get a new job and we have to wake up earlier. And so we're like, okay, well, I used to have my time, my quality time with Jesus at this point in my day. I'm just going to find a new time for it. And then you don't really make that a priority. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, something comes up in a relationship that you're in and it's difficult and you're like, well, you know, I need to focus on this. So I'll get back into a rhythm of going to church again later. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you didn't try to, there wasn't any major thing that you did, but you began to drift. I've been in that place before. I'm sure many of you in here have been in a situation where you realize you've drifted before. And so when we drift, the first thing Jesus says is remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you were in love. Take a second and just visualize, okay, when I first met Jesus, this is what it was like. And I really believe that Jesus, he's telling us to do that because that is how we can know that we have drifted. If we remember, okay, this is what my heart and I'm not talking about superfluous thing. This is where my heart was when I first met Jesus. And if I look at my heart now, I'm like, you know, my heart's in a different place now. That is evidence that, hey, it's time to start going after my first love again. Something's going to change. And so step one is remember from where you have fallen. Now, I wrote this down. I really feel like this is important. Remember, but don't condemn yourself. Remember but don't uh, condemn yourself if you have drifted. You see, here's what the enemy does when we realize stuff like this, when we realize, oh, you know what? I think maybe my heart has drifted a little bit. I think maybe I'm not as in love or on fire for Jesus as I was last year. When we realize that, the first thing the enemy does is speak lies over us. Wow, you are just such a failure. You call yourself a follower of Jesus? How could you let yourself get into this situation? Man, I thought you were better than that. And if we listen to these lies from the enemy, I promise you they are gonna hinder the very thing that, we want, that God wants us to step back into. If we listen to those lies, they are gonna be stumbling blocks on our journey back to relationship with Jesus. So don't listen to, if, you, if, if as we're talking about this, you start hearing condemning thoughts, accusing thoughts, just flush those down the toilet. Don't listen to the voice of the accuser. Everybody drifts at some point in time. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, everyone drifts, it's okay to drift. <clears throat> Everybody drifts at some point. Nobody is perfect. Any perfect people here right by a show of hands? Okay, couple. Why don't you guys come up? You can finish the message. <clears throat> okay. There are no perfect people. Everybody drifts at some point in time. So if you realize you have drifted, don't start beating yourself up about it. But listen to what Jesus is saying here. And I promise you that that's going to be the quickest um, path back into that place of being on fire and in love with Jesus. So that's the first part is remember. Then he said, he said, Jesus said, remember from where you have fallen, repent is the second part. So next intimacy statement, intimacy looks like owning up to bad mindsets and fighting for good mindsets. So the repentance part is asking yourself the question, why have I drifted? How has my thinking changed that has caused me to drift? 
It's going to be a mindset that results in this kind of a thing. And part of what we have to do is stop when we've, re- when we've remembered where we were, we realized the discrepancy. Part of what we have to do is stop and identify how has my thinking changed in this moment from that moment? Repent. And also, I, I know that a lot of you have heard this before, but I think it's so important to keep reminding everyone of this. The word repent, literally all it means is change the way you think. I know a lot of us, when we hear the word, or we hear the word repent, we imagine this like older man with a scowl and a finger pointed, repent, you know. And that is not what repentance is. Repentance is literally, hey, realize that you're thinking one way and think a different way. Repentance is like, if you read the Greek translation, it literally says, change your mind. (laughs) Change the way you are thinking. And so the second part of this is, okay, I've drifted a little bit. I'm remembering what it was like, um, my first love. What are the mindsets that I've bought into? What are the lies I've started to believe that have got me to this place? And there are tons of examples of what those could be. Here's one I wanted to share just so we can view this practically. This is one that I've experienced before, just kind of being in church my whole life. So the lie goes kind of like this. Because you've heard so many sermons before, don't expect to really get anything out of this one. Because you've been in so many worship sets before, this one's not going to really change your life or be impactful. And so there's this lie of, okay, because I've done this so many times before, nothing really significant is going to happen. But here's the deal. God could change any one of our lives in any worship set that happens. He could change any of our lives hearing any message. And sometimes the only reason we don't receive that life change is because we've wrote off the possibility for it to happen because we have been through this so many times. So that's one example of a lie, but this repentance part, figure out whatever that lie, whatever that bad mindset was and just start thinking differently. You're like, well, how do I do that? Well, start by, this is literally what I do. When I realize I believed a lie, I, every time that I, that I think that lie from the moment I realize it on, I out loud say the very opposite. So if I hear the lie, you're a failure, you're a failure. I don't care if I'm hanging out with friends or whatever I'm doing, I'll be like, I am a success, <laughs> you know? And until, you know, you speak it out until you believe it. And it sounds kind of hokey, but I promise you it works. Something about speaking out and speaking out, not just by your own authority and power, but by the authority and power of Jesus, it changes you. <clears throat> so that repentance part is second. Then we get to the last part of this. Do the works you did at first. Jesus said, you've lost your first love. Here's what you do. Remember where you've fallen. Repent. Do the works that you did at first. And I believe that understanding these two things is key to understanding what Jesus meant when he said this. The two things are intentionality and sacrifice. Understanding intentionality and sacrifice is key to understanding what Jesus meant by do these deeds that you did at first. So let's start with intentionality. Intimacy looks like intentionality. Here's a problem. A lot of times, fear of being fake can hinder us from pursuing God with intentionality. The fear of being inauthentic, the fear of 
making something up, the fear of faking something can actually hinder us from pursuing God with intentionality. So like an example, um, there are times during worship when I am feeling, I have the emotions of excitement and passion and I want to raise my hands during worship. And so I just raise my hands and I'm feeling it and it's great. A lot of you have probably been there before with me. Then there are other times when I don't feel like worshiping. I don't really even feel like being here. Whatever, something might be going on. I might be stressed about something. I might be hungry, whatever. And I don't feel like worshiping. And so in those moments, you know, I might be having that internal struggle. Well, should I raise my hands? Well, I don't really feel like it. And so I'm just a big fraud if I do that. And so I just kind of shrink back and don't really engage God with passion in that moment. In that moment, I have allowed the fear of being fake to prevent me from a possible life-changing encounter with God. Now, there is a sense in which you don't want to be fake and you don't want to drum anything up. But there's also a sense in which you need to push past what you feel in the moment to step into what you know. Here's kind of the difference. There's a difference between not feeling excited about God and your heart not being in God. There's a difference between not feeling excited about it and your heart not being in it. To uh, illustrate this, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you a story right now. Some of you men are gonna not, you're gonna kind of vomit, but the women are probably gonna like it. So... <clears throat> I'm going to tell you about the first time that my wife, Jamie, and I held hands. Aww. Okay. So we had been hanging out a lot, again, a lot of time, spending a lot of time together, but we hadn't really come out and said to each other yet, hey, let's be in a relationship. So there was still that kind of uncertainty. And we were hanging out at a friend's house watching The Office, and we're just joking around. Yes, great first date, right? <laughs> that wasn't really our first date. We were, anyways, we're joking around, we're laughing, we're having fun, and all of a sudden there's kind of like a pause in the conversation, and I look down, I realized that where our hands had started like this far apart, they were now like this far apart, you know, not touching yet, but really close. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna hold her hand. And so my heart starts pounding, right? Okay, I can do this. And I start sweating a little bit. And there's kind of like that um, just pause in the conversation where you know something's about to happen and everything got blurry and I fainted. No, just kidding. <laughs> so I'm there, butterflies, adrenaline running. And then I go to grab her hand and it was like our fingers interlocked as fast as possible. And then we both just kind of stared straight ahead for a second. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was the first time that Jamie and I held hands. It was a adrenaline-filled, exhilarating experience. Okay? So now we've been, we've been married for several years now, and I still hold her hand. I hold her hand a lot more than I probably did when we first started dating. But you know what? If we're walking into church and I go to hold her hand, it's not like I'm like, oh my gosh, 
I'm about to hold her hand, I'm sweating, this is crazy. Oh, you know, it's not like it was back then. I don't have the same feelings about it, but I still do it. Why? Because I value connection with her, and part of connection is not giving up on the small things. And so even though I'm not feeling the same excitement that I did when I first held her hand, I still choose to hold her hand, regardless of whether I'm feeling exciting about it or not, because I value connection with her. In the same way in our relationship with God, there are times that we're not going to feel like worshiping him or praying or reading the Bible or doing anything. But when we say, you know what, I'm not feeling this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know that my heart loves God and that that's what my life is about. So Jesus, I'm going to worship you anyway. That is not fake. That is faith. And the enemy tries to get us to think that we're being a fraud, but really that is a more genuine expression of faith than when we do it when our emotions are all about it because it actually takes, it takes more sacrifice. It takes more on our end to do it in the first place in those scenarios because we don't feel like it. In fact, I actually, when I'm worshiping and and I'm not feeling super excited to worship, I actually have started taking that as an opportunity. Like, great, this is a time where I know I'm not being selfish at all because I don't want to do this, so I'm going to worship him. Like, I use it as a time to know that it's all about him. <clears throat> and so doing the works that you did at first is looking back on those things like, like raising your hands, like praying every morning, like reading your Bible every day, whatever it might be. We're not, don't get hung up on the individual thing, but it's looking back at those things you did when you were first in love with Jesus and being like, you know what? I might not feel the same way about them now as I did the first time, but I'm gonna do them anyway because I value connection with Jesus. <clears throat> so that's intentionality. For all of you visual learners, here's kind of the, the difference between the two things. So in the first scenario the, of uh, when I first held Jamie's hand, we started with an emotion, which led to an action and resulted in connection. That's how love oftentimes starts. It oftentimes starts with an emotion. We kind of just need the extra help to do this stuff sometimes. But love being maintained is very differently, like I just explained. Here's how love is maintained. It oftentimes starts with the action before the emotion comes, which results in connection, as long as your heart is in it, and then results oftentimes in the emotion last. And sometimes you never get the emotion, but it's okay because it's not about what you feel. <clears throat> Feelings are good, but they're not the dry. They're, I've heard people say, feelings are good, and you shouldn't lock them in your trunk, but don't put them in the driver's seat either. <clears throat> All right. So, intimacy, la next intimacy statement, intimacy looks like sacrifice. Still talking here about those first deeds, intimacy looks like sacrifice. Here's the deal. When we first started following Jesus, all of the deeds we did at first were a sacrifice in some way or another. I mean, I remember before I started following Jesus, I really liked being angry at people. 
Like, I, it wasn't just that I was an angry person. I enjoyed the fact that I got to be cold-hearted and angry towards people, especially people that I didn't know or didn't like how they dressed or whatever. <laughs> when I started following Jesus, I had to sacrifice that. I also liked to sleep in until 10 minutes before I had to go to work, which I worked second shift around this time and I would work from two until 10.30. So I'd literally sleep until like one o'clock in the afternoon. That was a dark time. But, um, <laughs> but when I started following Jesus, I started to sacrifice some of that time of sleeping in to spend time with him. And so when we first start following him, everything that we do is a sac- going to church is a sacrifice. You could do something else with your time. Getting involved in a group is a sacrifice. Reading your Bible instead of watching TV is a sacrifice. And so in, our, in the beginning of our faith, we do all this stuff that is a sacrifice. And oftentimes we keep doing those same things, but we stop there. And what used to be a sacrifice for us has now become our new norm. And pretty soon, if you stay in that place where you're just comfortable and you're in your new norm long enough, you start to lose some of that first love, passion for God, because the sacrifice is actually the thing that fuels that first love, passion for God. And so we as believers, we have to constantly be asking ourselves, where am I comfortable? Where am I currently in my comfort zone? And what is God calling me to sacrifice to move closer to him? Because... You can't move closer to God or anybody else or anything without sacrifice. Like, constant dilemma that Jamie and I have is, where are we going to go to eat? What restaurant are we going to go to? There's so many. Where are we going to go? And um, the closer that we move to deciding where we actually are going to go to eat, the more options that we sacrifice, right? Right? So maybe we start by saying, okay, it's after church. We don't feel like driving, so let's go to Colerain. So we decide on Colerain, boom, we're sacrificing every other part of the city in that moment. And then we take one step closer to our decision. You know, I'm feeling Mexican today. What about you? Yeah, okay. So let's go find a Mexican restaurant to eat at. So we sacrifice every restaurant that does not sell Mexican food. And then we look at our options and we decide on one. And in deciding on one, we're sacrificing all the other possibilities. So the closer that you move towards anything, you necessarily sacrifice to get there. And so if you're examining your relationship with God and you're thinking, you know what? I don't really know if I've sacrificed anything lately. I kind of just feel like I've been maintaining. Well, then God's probably calling you to take another step towards him and as you step towards him, the sacrifice that you're going to need to make is, be- is going to become apparent. You know, I think sometimes people hear messages like this and they're like, oh, man, I've started to get apathetic. I've started to lose my first love passion. So I just got to find something to sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice this. You know, don't get anxious about it. Just continue to step towards him. And as you step in and seek him, the sacrifice that he's calling you to make is going to present itself. And when you say yes to him in making that sacrifice, I promise you that fire in your heart is going to rise up again because that sacrifice is actually what um, fuels that first love, passion, and fire for God. Last thing, intimacy looks like never changing the subject. You see, this church in Ephesus 
if you read about its beginnings, it began in a fantastic, unbelievable revival. There was so much stuff happening at the beginning of the church of Ephesus. Like there were people getting healed left and right from touching Paul's handkerchiefs and other weird stuff like that. All the people that practiced witchcraft in the whole region gathered at Ephesus and burned all of their books and demons were getting casted out of people. Like it was a church birthed in a mighty move of God. But like what oftentimes happens when God moves in a mighty way is the focus goes from more of him to maintaining what he's done. And when your focus moves from wanting more of him to maintaining what he has done, then Jesus has just taken, you've just taken him out of the very center of your life and you've put maintaining the revival he started at the center of your heart. And when that is at the center of your heart, passion starts to dwindle because he is the only life source. He's the only thing that can keep our hearts on fire from him. You actually can't do it. (laughs) And in the seasons where I realize I'm losing some of that first love, the best thing I've found is not to try to find a formula to fix it, but to cry out to him, Jesus, whatever is in the way of me stepping into deeper passion for you, just move it. I want more of you, God. I need you to show me what it is and keep praying that prayer until it happens. He's gotta be at the center of what we do. He has to be the main subject of our life that we never move on from. More of him is what our life is all about. That's what I want my life to be about. When I get to the end of my life, I don't care how many signs and wonders and miracles I've been a part of. I don't care how big a church is that I was a part of or what ministries I did or any of that. I just wanna be known as a passionate follower of Jesus. That's what I want my life to be about. And that's what Jesus is calling the Ephesian church into. So let's pray. Would you stand with me? Why don't you close your eyes? If you want, you can put your hands out or on your heart. Jesus, would you come right now and stir that first love fire in our hearts. Lord, if we've drifted, if we've gotten comfortable, if we have put something else to the center of our hearts, would you show us right now? (laughs) Thank you that your voice is not the voice of accusation or judgment, but that you are calling us, you're tenderly and gently calling us into more of you. So I just speak freedom from accusation, freedom from judgment right now in Jesus' name over the room. I silence in Jesus' name the voice of the accuser. I cancel the assignments of the enemy. Lord, would you lead us into more of you? Let our lives mold our hearts in such a way where our lives really are about more of you. Let us love you and be in love with you.
I feel like just like this message was for not an individual, but for a body. I feel like God is saying that to us. This message is not just for individuals in the room, but for us as a family. So if you are, if you're newer here, feel free not to participate in this, but if this is your home, I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you, assuming they're okay with it. So let's just join our hearts together. Jesus, we as a family here at Vineyard Northwest want you to be the center of everything we're doing. Want more of you to be what we are about. Would you take us back to our first love, Lord? Would you show us those mindsets that have been tripping us up? We love you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.